Today's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. This can be found on page 1156 of the Pew Bible. Chapter, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. Oops. Well, good morning, Knox. Good morning, saints. It is good to see you here. Welcome to all the 5 p.m. crowd. It is great to have you here. Thanks for getting out of bed and coming a little earlier to church today. It's good to see you. And thanks to everyone. Uh, you know, I know the Toronto Marathon's out there. That's to, some of you powered through that. You came late. You snuck in. Glad that you're here. Welcome. It is good to have you. And to any guests who are with us too, we are so grateful. My name is Phil Reinders, one of the pastoral staff here. I've got a question for you. In the morning, when you wake up, what do you see? And I'm not talking about, you know, the bleary-eyed, sleepy-eyed, bed-headed creature staring back at you in the mirror. Think it as something else. What do, you, what do you see when you look out at the world? What is it that you see? Do you see a schedule that is just filled with way too much to do? Do you see children whose needs are just beyond your capacity to provide care for? Do you see a world that feels just so locked into pain and misery that seems to be ruled by injustice? What is it that you see when you look out at the world? It's interesting how the most important vision equipment we have actually is not our physical eyes. Scripture says the eyes of our heart are actually the more important way in which we understand and see the world. What you see with the eyes of your heart is going to determine how you live. It will structure it. It will direct you. So what is it that fills the eyes of your heart when you wake up in the morning? 
Here at Knox, we're working our way through this book of Ephesians. We're taking our time. It's a leisurely stroll through this letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches in Ephesus. And we've been seeing how Ephesians, the book is intended to provide an alternative way of seeing things, an alternative reading of reality. And we're calling this sermon series a better story because this is what Paul is giving to the Ephesians and to us. It's a better story. He's trying to wake us up to the better story that is in Jesus Christ. Help us. It's a better story that helps us make better sense of our world, to help us to see truly, to see reality as it is. Paul is praying that. He's praying that we would see reality that we would, we would live with wisdom and understanding because the eyes of our heart are wide open to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is now our identity as children of God. And we need this vision because we see all these difficulties in life. The, the temptations can sometimes cloud our vision and so we can look at our lives and look at our world um, and yet be limited in what we actually see there. You will always live out of that vision that you see of the world. Your life will be structured by how the eyes of the heart, the vision your eyes of your heart embrace by the story that you embrace. So this is so important for us. And so Paul prays. He's praying that these Ephesians will see. We're in a section of a prayer of Paul, and this is a prayer for knowledge, for a full sense of that word, knowledge, which is both understanding, this cognitive, this rational comprehension of understanding, but also experience. That is a profound biblical understanding of what knowledge is, to to, to truly experience this, both understanding and experience. It's this striking combination of words that Paul uses here for for what he's praying for. He's praying for wisdom and, and revelation and knowledge and enlightenment. The, the, the church at Ephesus, um, they, were, they were blind. And, and Paul's praying that their, their short-sightedness would, would get healed, that their eyes would be opened so that they can see. He's praying passionately for his people. And he, he's going for the spiritual jugular here. It's fascinating to note what he doesn't pray for. And he's not praying for their political circumstances. He's not praying at all for their economic circumstances, for their material circumstances. Not at all. He's praying that they might see, that they might know the riches of God, that they might have this heart understanding of what they already have been given in Jesus Christ. Don't you want that too? I hope you do. If you have this thing that he's talking about, that he's praying for, no matter how miserable your circumstances are, you will process those circumstances in a way that'll make you great. If you have what Paul is talking about, this insight, this wisdom, this revelation, this knowledge. See, the thing is, we often have such a small perspective, a a really shrunken down vision of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so we need to be praying for the same wisdom to experience, to know deeply what God has done in Christ. Do you pray for that? What do you pray for when you pray? Often we we pray generically. We ask God for his blessing, right? Oh, God, bless us. Um, But here's the thing. Paul has already said, no, God's already done that. 
God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That is yours. That is past tense historical. That's been done. You have been blessed in every way. So wouldn't it be better then for us uh, to stop asking God for what he has already given to us and start praying that we might experience what is already ours? I think our prayer should be filled with this, to know all the blessings that he has given to us, that he's poured out to experience all these blessings. That's one of the best prayers that you can offer. God, help me to see, help me to know, to really experience all that you've given to me in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians to see, to Know the power of God in Jesus Christ. This power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength which God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. To know that, to fully grasp that in your lives, to experience that. What a thing. There is so much here. We're just gonna focus in on the last part of this prayer, which is focused in on Jesus. And there's a number of biblical scholars who say this is actually the thesis statement of the whole book of Ephesians. All of it is focused in on Jesus Christ, who he is, what God has done, where he has placed him. And the rest of Ephesians thinks through the implications of that. So it's good for us to ask, when you think of Jesus, what do you see? What is it that you imagine? What is it that you see? Do you see a good teacher? That's what a lot of people would say about Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's He's a good moral, spiritual guide for our lives. He's a figure of history. What is it? You see, when you see Jesus, in these verses, Paul makes an absolutely audacious claim that Jesus Christ, who was born to a woman named Mary, the crucified Jesus at the hands of the Roman authorities, the resurrected Jesus now sits on the throne of the universe. He is the one who rules all things. Paul's proclaiming, The good news that changes absolutely everything. The risen Jesus is now enthroned as Lord, and that has implications for every sphere of life, for the political, the economic, the social, the relational, the sexual. Now here you need to remind yourselves a little bit of the historical context because this, Paul spoke this in a Roman world that was centered on that word Lord. Greek word is kurios. And it meant the sovereign one. It meant the ultimate authority. And in the Roman Empire, that ultimate authority, that sovereign one was Caesar. Caesar was Lord. And his image was everywhere. It was imprinted on coins. It was in statues. It was on uh, doorways and buildings. That is all you could see in the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. And Paul says to this group of Ephesians, he says, Actually, there's another way to see reality. There's another take on reality. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus Christ is the one who rules over all of life. He is Lord. And the burden of this prayer is that we would know this, that we, it would just get grip our hearts, that Jesus has been the one who has been installed as the emperor of the cosmos. This is what the gospel proclaims, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah has installed Jesus of Nazareth on the throne above all things, above all powers. Jesus, the, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the healer of broken minds and broken bodies. Jesus, who showed such compassion to the least of these. Jesus, who welcomed and blessed children. This Jesus, who sacrificially gave his life for you. Jesus is the ruler of all reality. Lord of all things. Oh, Lord, may we see this. May we experience this truth. But you're not going to see it if all you do is read the newspaper. If all you do is read news feeds and blogs, if you read philosophical essays and technological manuals and journals, you just won't know what's going on in the world, in reality. You need to live in the story of God. This is an astonishing claim that Paul makes here. And even for some of us who call ourselves Christians today, I wonder if we are unaware of the power that is available to us. I sometimes hear from others, sometimes in my own heart actually, this thought that goes, well, I don't really see the power of Jesus doing much in this world. I mean, how, how, can he really be ruling all things? But that just shows our need for this prayer. That just shows once again we are blind. We are not seeing things accurately. We need a fresh vision of how reality actually is structured. We need to see the reign of Jesus. Now remember, Paul is, is he's not blowing sunshine here. Uh, he's living in hard circumstances. Remember the circumstances in which Paul is writing this. He's in prison. He's locked up in a Roman prison. He's awaiting his time to go before Caesar. So uh, those circumstances would, would seem to call into question the very thing he claims. Paul in prison, awaiting to answer, to stand trial before Caesar, the person who calls himself Lord, who demands all citizens of the empire to call himself Lord. But for Paul and for the followers of Jesus, that, that could not happen because it's not true. Caesar's not Lord. Yes, we'll respect Caesar. Yes, we'll pray for Caesar, but we cannot call him Lord because that is not reality. Caesar's only an emperor, not a Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who is exalted above all things, who reigns and rules in this world. And maybe the most important question for us as we consider that claim, no matter how long you've been a Christian, is do you really believe that? Is that functionally operative as a belief, as a conviction? You may have heard it, I know it. But do you know it as that deep conviction? Have you grasped, has it sunk in? Do you act on it? Does it affect the way you deal with people? Does it affect the way you deal with your fears in life? Has it, has it reordered the priorities of your life? And even further, 
is that conviction flowing through you? Is it enabling you with that resurrection power that God has promised? This incomparably great power for us who believe. Amazing, hey, that little word, for us. Do you know this and not just know about it? If not, please do what Paul does. Paul is praying that they would experience it. Pray that you would experience it, that God would bring it about in your life. Drink this in, this beautiful richness of this passage. Just listen to these words. God has placed all things under his, Jesus Christ's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. God placed all things, nothing excluded there, So nothing you can name that isn't under the reign and control of Jesus Christ. God placed all things under the reign and control of Jesus. God made Jesus head over everything. Why? Here's the staggering thing. For you. For the church. That's amazing. Do you know what this means? It means that Jesus Christ is at work in all things, that there is nothing that remains beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. He is working all those things for you, for the church, for those that believe. It's an echo of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 28, where we are promised that all things work together for the good of those that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. This is saying, if you belong to him, everything that happens out there, it is happening for you. People often wonder, can that be possible? And, and how could that be possible? Maybe, maybe someday Jesus might be king and control all things and ruler of all things, but we have trouble figuring out how Jesus actually is doing it now because the world looks a little messy, sometimes looks out of control. Christians, interestingly, have always had um, both a realistic and an incredibly hopeful view of history, an understanding of history. We see that Jesus is head over everything right now. He's actually directing everything. And how could he be doing that? Let me look at just two ways, two implications that we can draw out from this amazing proclamation of the reality of Jesus. First is Jesus is head over all things, governing the world uh, through common grace. Now what's that? Common grace is that power by which God um, preserves and beautifies this world, all of human society. And he does that by continually calling out even in the lives of people who are disobedient, disobedient men and women, people who may not even believe in God, calling out all sorts of goodness and wisdom and greatness and beauty. It is this amazing power of God calling, this is common grace. In other words, God initiates, he gives gifts of greatness, of wisdom, of beauty, of goodness to all kinds of people, whether they believe it or not, um, whether they obey him or not. Common grace, it's how Jesus rules this world governs it, directs it, protects it, preserves it. It's not a term that's in the Bible, but the concept is is filled throughout. James 1 verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Anything good, 
anything perfect, anything beautiful, it has its origins from heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And you see this in so many ways. There's often an innate sense within human conscience of, for instance, fair play or justice. It's almost like it's imprinted on a human mind. You know, the golden rule, honesty, love, often they don't need to be taught because they're just there. A person who has absolutely no belief in Jesus Christ and maybe no interest in religion at all, according to this, could have all sorts of stellar moral character. God just spreads these gifts out. Musical, artistic gifts, technical skill, wisdom, greatness. He he just tosses these gifts around commonly uh, amongst the human race like, like precious jewels so that all of history and creation just sparkles. What else does he give? He gives gifts of leadership. There's a fascinating passage in Isaiah 45 which talks about Cyrus, who was a Persian king, but he was also a pagan king, not a believer in God at all, not someone who believed in the Lord God of Israel or anything like that. But Isaiah 45 tells us that uh, Cyrus is God's anointed prince. Cyrus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and, and for world leadership by God, and yet he's a pagan. See, Jesus reigns through this common grace. And if you understand that, if you understand that Jesus is is governing all things through this common grace, that gives you a remarkable new perspective on things. It means you can appreciate art and music and beauty from people who are not Christians. Because if it's excellent, if it's true, if it's beautiful, it's a gift of God that you can claim. It means when you've got good political leadership, even by someone who's not a Christian, you can see God's reign in that. You can be blessed by that. I, there's, a, there's a great line attributed to Martin Luther. And it says, it says, I would much rather be ruled by a wise Muslim than a foolish Christian. I would much rather be ruled by a wise Muslim than a foolish Christian. What did he mean by that? He's trying to say that because Jesus rules over all things, we can enjoy his guidance, his sovereign goodness, even in the beauty and wisdom of someone who does not follow God. The gift of wise leadership, that artistic gift of beauty from the life of someone who may even disdain Christian gospel is a gift from Jesus Christ who rules over all reality. And because all things are placed under the feet of Jesus, We can trust his providential guidance of our lives, of human history. In the thick of everyday life, that's a little hard to see though, isn't it? So God, he reigns by this common grace, but he's also providentially guiding lives and human histories. But from our vantage point, that's a challenge. But this passage, what it does is it pulls us up, pulls us up to this high place, this vantage point by which we can see something bigger at work. From our human vantage point, you know, there are places in our life which just feel really hard, don't they? And, and it sometimes feels like there's no apparent sense to them. There are times in our lives when it just doesn't seem to be like your life is heading or moving towards God's promises at all. God doesn't seem to be doing anything, it feels like. It feels like you're just going around in circles. You're stuck in a job or you're stuck without relationships that you want. It feels like you're going nowhere. 
Or sometimes it can look like God's purposes in your life are just not there at all. Sometimes look like God's work is, is going in the opposite of what scripture tells us. You know, you read places in scripture how he loves me, he, he wants my holiness, my wholeness, my joy, and you, you look at your life and you think, well, well, come on, what in the world is going on? Why did this happen and why did that happen and why did that happen then? It seems to be going backwards instead. But Jesus Christ is the ruler of all reality. He's the head over everything for the church. That means everything in your life, every incident in your life, everything that's happening to you, every circumstance of your personal history is all being woven together, worked together by the head, Jesus Christ, who is working everything out for you. It's all working together. And Paul's prayer is that you'll see this that you'll know this deep. But it's hard, isn't it? We need a new perspective to see it, which is what scripture is for, which is what worship is for. There's a fascinating passage in one of the Psalms, Psalm 73. David comes to God and David is just flustered. He's flabbergasted. He cannot figure out what is going on because all he can see as he looks out is wicked people, seemingly wicked people who are prospering. And David says in Psalm 23, God, all the people who disobey you, who disregard you, seem to be having great lives. And then there's me in my life where it doesn't be working at all. I feel like a fool for trying to keep all your laws, God. And so he goes on this for a while. But then a little later on, in the middle of the Psalm, David says this. He says, I went into the sanctuary and then I perceived the truth. Then I saw reality. Then I got the perspective I needed. So often we need that new perspective to see reality. You have to come to the word of God because the word of God gives you this alternative reading of reality. This particular verse in Ephesians that we've been looking at says God made him, Jesus, head over everything for the church. It pulls you out of history and it gives you this high vantage point that enables you to see that you are always part, uh, that, that God is part of your life in Jesus Christ. And it is under his careful rule. Everything is for you. All things are yours, whether life or in death, present or future. The prosperity, the adversity, the tragedies of your life, the joys of your life, all of it is working for you. All of it taking you towards God, even in spite of how it might look. But you can only see it if you get up high enough. The only way to get up high enough is to go to verses like this, to just climb up them, to, to get the vantage point that it, they offer to us. And when you see this as Christ head over everything, you, you fall down on your knees and say, I know you're head over everything. And you, you're able to submit your life to that reign, to that rule. I pray that we see this, that you give all to him who is in charge, who controls all things. He's head over everything for the church. Everything is for you, whether life or death, whether past or present, whether this world, it is all yours. Everything working together for good. And the best thing we can do for this is what Paul's doing, praying, 
This week, can you do that? This week, pray this prayer for yourself. Pray it for others around you too. Colleagues that you know, family members that you know, people who are with you, roommates. Pray it for other ones, but pray it for yourself. Pray it every day this week. Say, God, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see reality. Give me the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation. Illumine my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. I don't know these things, God. I don't live with the peace I know I should have. I don't know the power. I don't live with the self-control because I don't know that I am your fullness. I don't live with the confidence and hope because I don't know the calling. I don't know. I don't see. So give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my heart so that I might know who is on the throne. And let's do that right now, shall we? Join me in prayer. Father, all we ask now are the very words of Paul, that you would give to us the knowledge and the experience, the sense of your truth, so we can find ourselves growing more and more into all of the life that you have already given to us. I pray, Father, today, if there's anyone here who's just not sure whether they have that life, that they would come to you, that they would say, Lord Jesus Christ, I see enough now to know that I don't see, that I need fresh eyes. Touch me. Give me your perspective. Heal my eyes. Give me the new life that I so desperately need. And Father, for those of us who do have it, who are able to see, have seen, help us to be willing to confess to you right now that we haven't always been living off of this. That we're not stirring up this vision, this knowledge. Father, show us how to exercise, how to nourish ourselves and to stir up this new life, this every spiritual blessing you have given to us. Help us to meditate on it until these truths become so real to us, palpably real. And Father, in the quiet now of this next moment, as we silently come to you, would you impress these truths on our heart? Speak to us, Lord. Open our eyes. Spirit of God, we open ourselves to all of your work, to your revealing truth-clarifying work. Open our eyes. May we see the one who is on the throne, who reigns and rules for us. In his name we pray. Amen.